This podcast is a member of the Voices of Wrestling podcasting network. Visit VoicesOfWrestling.com to hear the rest of our great podcasts, as well as show reviews, columns, opinions, and updates across the world of wrestling. back everybody to wrestling omakase it is episode number uh 138 and this week um first of all i'm happy to be back on the air at all after a um if you follow me on twitter you probably know i i probably had the coronavirus um i don't know that for sure because uh you know the i'm here in new york where it's very difficult to get tested at the moment um, but, you know, based on the, the telemedicine, um, appointment I had with my doctor, she said it was very likely I had it, um, uh, just based on my symptoms. So and if I, I'd be pretty shocked if I didn't have it, if I didn't have it or if I hadn't had it, I don't know, I, was, I don't know how to say it, but, uh, based on just, it was like the worst fucking flu, you know, I think I've ever felt in my entire life. So. You know, if you're listening to this and you're lucky enough to not have had it so far, uh, definitely stay indoors and you do, you do not want to get it. That's all I'm going to say. It was, uh, it was one of the worst, like, I guess, 11 days I've ever been through. But I'm feeling a lot better now, so able to get on and record here after, uh, you know, like I said, like 11 days of hell. Uh, my guest, he was originally supposed to be my guest last week, but... You know, as of last weekend, I trust me, I was not in any condition to record a podcast, but TJ has gracefully agreed to come on a week late. So hi, TJ. Hey, John. Glad you're feeling better. I know that that sounds awful. I'm, I'm sorry you had to go through all that. Yeah, I had like a um, a less common like symptoms, I guess. Like when I was talking, to, I, I talked to my doctor about it. It was like, but still symptoms that like apparently like a significant percentage have but like the i think the more famous coronavirus symptoms are like uh you know the 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 dry cough and like the trouble breathing i didn't i had a little bit of a cough really not that bad and the trouble breathing i only think i had like maybe one one evening which really did freak out my girlfriend we almost called an ambulance but um the the main symptom i had was like like gastro you know, intestine, I guess they call it, like really, really like terrible stomach pain, which apparently does this, it does happen to a significant percentage, even though it's not as uh, well known as the, 
as like the the dry cough and all that. But yeah, like it, it felt like for a few days, it felt like someone was like stabbing me in the stomach. Like that's really not an exaggeration. It just felt like, you know, like a constant stabbing pain. And then like the nausea was like the worst nausea I've ever had. They, they ended up prescribing me something with a nausea, which actually helped a lot. But yeah, I mean, it was, it was basically from like, um, I guess like I started feeling a little under the weather, like Saturday, not this past Saturday. What, what, what am I thinking of? Like Saturday, the 28th, I guess. Or maybe it was the 21st. I don't know. Time is kind of has no meaning after a while when you're, you know, feeling this sick. But like by the time we got to that, uh, like Wednesday, Thursday, like the 25th and 26th is when it started really, really feeling sick. And then, you know, that those few days were like the absolute worst. And then by this past Monday, I would say I started feeling better. And then by, you know, like the, the first and second, you know, I still wouldn't even say I'm a hundred percent. I still feel like I have very little, uh, like a lack of energy compared to before I was sick. But I just assume you know, that'll take a while to get to, to you feel like, you know, you did before you were sick, but at least the symptoms and, and the, the fever, obviously I had the fever and the fever was like, really, you know, it would go up and down constantly. And like, you know, it got, it got to around one Oh two and just like, you know, would plummet and then go right back up. But I haven't had the fever in like five or six days now. So that's probably an important one, I guess. And my stomach's been fine, but it's just like a general, I guess, lack of energy. But you know, hopefully, for a while. Yes, yeah, so hopefully people hear this and understand to take this shit seriously and stay at home. I've, I yeah. think I've left the house like twice just for groceries. That's it. But I that's the same thing I did too. I left the house like like people. I don't want people to think I was out fucking partying and got it. Like I was, I probably since we are my job let, let us start working from home. I probably left the house twice just for groceries and. Somehow I still got it. So, you know, I don't know. I guess it's just that widespread here in New York. Yeah, you just got to be careful, period. And sometimes you're just unlucky, I guess. Yeah. And weirdly, like, my girlfriend who, you know, obviously lives with me and her mom have not got it yet. So I don't know if they, maybe they were the original carriers and they were lucky enough to be some of these asymptomatic people. But, uh, yeah, I don't know. But it's been a, it's been a rough couple of weeks, but... Uh, I'm happy to be back on the air here and, you know, talk about what little uh, Japanese wrestling there is. Yeah, um, I was going to say, at least you got sick when there was, like, nothing happening, really. <laughs> I watched the Noah show, like, while, while sick. So that was, like, the first night I would start a little better. So we watched – so I watched that Noah show live, um, which probably wasn't the greatest decision because then I started feeling, like, kind of crappy again the next day on Sunday. But – uh you know, it is what it is, I guess. And we're all kind of going through this at this point. Um, you know, I don't know. It's been a, it's been a rough, like I said, couple of weeks, but you know, things are, things are not been great in Japan or the U S at the moment, like Japan. I know they had a, there's been a big spike of cases in Tokyo and, you know, just when I think as we kind of predicted a couple the last time I was on the air a couple of weeks ago, like when they, they, they had, they kind of started running, some shows in front of fans, like DDT Judgment, I know, was in front of fans, and uh, you know, Big Japan, which never had really stopped, I guess, ran their March 21st quirk, and that we're going to talk about in front of fans, um, but, you know, that kind of got shut down again, so 
now it's like even Cork and Hall won't let them run any, won't let anyone run anything in front of fans. And uh, it seems like, you know, we're back to nothing but no fan shows. Pro- I would say, I mean, if, if you're looking for like an end date for this, I, I would tell you right now, I don't, I don't think it's going to be in April. I think you're all you're going to get is no fan shows through all of April, maybe even through all of May. So. Yeah. I think May is like the best case scenario. I don't know if you saw, it was like yeah. just reported like right before, uh, we got on that uh, Oda Ward basically canceled throughout May, so there's gonna be no start, uh, no Stardom Oda Ward show, for example, probably. Yeah. So I think I think people are, you know, I, I know like the the MPV, the Nippon Professional Baseball League, they're they're aiming now for late May, and they don't even really have an exact date. So I would assume that's the earliest you might see some stuff come, but it really depends on if they get things under control in you know in tokyo and you know during the rest of april because right now it's like spiking um but yeah i don't know it's really rough around the entire world right now and it's very depressing to think about so shouldn't really i'm not gonna try to like steer it toward dressing i guess but i don't know i mean maybe it's just people say oh well at least we got these no fan shows but like to me they're not those are not good like escapes like they just remind me of how awful everything is right now it's like yeah i don't know you know i think it depends on the promotion too like i think det and tokyo joshi they kind of made that like, got in on the joke a little bit not on the joke but like made it a point to make like try to like do spots and shit like that to make it not seem as weird that there were no fans but then you had like noah and like other promotions that kind of just pretend there's fans there anyway for the most part like they're yeah. trying to go n- business as usual but just with no fans like, I like how Dragon Gate did it with their one show, like 22nd, I think, where they basically just had the wrestlers out there and they were basically pretending to be fans. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, there's right and wrong ways to do it, I guess. But, like, I'm not I, – I, I didn't watch WrestleMania last night. I just didn't really have the energy to care. And it's just been a – I don't know. It's, it, it's not a good escape to me. It's just like, well, this is the world we're in and – it's just kind of a depressing reminder that it's not going to end anytime soon. Yeah, I get, I get that. Hey, before we get into our first topic, if you were to guess on average how many days people in the U.S. have to wait to see a doctor, what would you say? Americans have to wait around 29 days to see a doctor in major U.S. cities. If you're dealing with a condition like erectile dysfunction, you want treatment ASAP. That's why our friends at Roman have spent years building a digital platform that can, can, that can connect you with a doctor licensed in your state, all from the comfort of your home. Roman makes it convenient to get the treatment you need on your schedule. Just grab your phone or computer, complete a free online visit, and you'll hear back from a U.S. licensed physician within 24 hours. If the doctor decides the treatment is right for you, Roman's pharmacy can ship your medication to you with free two-day shipping, you also get free unlimited follow-ups from your doctor with your doctor anytime you have questions or want to adjust your treatment plan. With Roman, there are no commitments and you can cancel anytime. So if you're struggling with ED, go to GetRoman.com VOW for a free online visit and free two-day shipping. That's GetRoman.com VOW for a free online visit and free two-day shipping. GetRoman.com dot com slash v o w. I want to talk about the end of Wrestle One since, of course, 
um, you know, you were such a big fan of the promotion. Um, you know, the company came to an end after the April 1st Corican, which, you know, unfortunately had to be a uh, empty arena show due to the coronavirus pandemic. Um, do you have, do you have any thoughts, I guess, on how Wrestle One came to an end and like, was it, you know, I mean, I think there were a lot of obvious jokes based on the, the lack of fans there, but to me, this, this came off across as very tacky. It's like they're, the promotion's coming to, like, you know, it's dying. I mean, you don't really gotta uh, shovel dirt on it, you know, but I don't know. The entire thing's a very unfortunate situation, and I think, uh, it, it just, I guess, what are your thoughts after, you know, following the promotion for so long, watching it come to an end the way it did? Yeah, it's it's kind of disappointing. Like I, I think the show they had scheduled would have done really well in front of fans because especially the, like the end of it, like the last match was like a battle royale with basically people throughout the company's history coming back. Like Ikemen returned, and uh, I guess Fumi Nakanoe, Hama, all them kind of people. Yamato was there. Yeah, That's and it's Yamato. so it was, it was. I'm glad they did that, but obviously it would have been better with fans involved. I, I was kind of happy they showed some of it on like on Twitter, like little one minute clips from each video or each match. So that was nice. But yeah, it's it's really disappointing they couldn't do the last show with, with fans. Like it would have been nice if they could have just postponed ending it and ran a show without fans, like once all this is clear. But since the main reason they're shutting down is money issues, I I guess that makes sense why they can't just postpone it. Yeah. Did Mudo get booed a lot at the at the I, oh I guess at the second last show at like uh or did he work that Shinkiba show? I don't remember. Uh, no, he didn't work the Shinkiba okay. show. He got booed. At, he got booed at Oda Ward, right? Yeah, he got, got booed at Oda Ward. Like um, this one uh, Japanese fan I uh, follow on Twitter, he was actually at the show, and like he was one of the people booing and was had a video of it. And it was pretty funny. Like from the sound of it, it doesn't seem like the hardcore like Wrestle One fans in Japan aren't really happy with Mudo, and he's not exactly helping the situation because there's been like interviews of him in like newspapers and stuff, basically talking shit on the company, like. You know, he had his uh, knee surgeries last year, or 2018, I think. And, like, he just returned this year, or last year. And Wrestle One wasn't booking him, except for, like, for big shows. And apparently he said, like, he was saying, like, the reason he hasn't been working Wrestle One since he returned from his knee surgery was because they weren't booking him. That's why he's had to go to, like, Noah and All Japan since he's been back. Hmm. So do you know, do you know, like, why, like, if you had to try to guess at what the reason for that kind of reaction was what do you think the real reason was do people resent him starting that masters thing uh that could be a reason i just i just think he people i guess fans were kind of just disappointed that it was the promotion was ending and mudo doesn't seem to care and barely put any effort into it especially near the end with running shows like the master shows where jetsy drew fans and like wrestle one yeah so I guess to give Russell on a bit of a eulogy, if you had to talk, tell somebody who, you know, didn't know anything about Russell One and had no, never watched it, didn't really care, what what would you what would, how would you explain like the history of Russell One? Like what was what made the promotion important and what made the promotion worth following throughout its life? Well. I haven't been following Russell One since the beginning. Like I pretty much hopped in on around like 2017 with uh, Ashino coming. I want to come up like 2016, 2017. I basically jumped in with his title reign and like what made the promotion special for me is like all the young wrestlers in the promotion. Like I thought they were all showed promise and it was just, 
enjoyable to watch them all grow. And then they did have some interesting storylines too, with one with Ashino and Ikemen's rivalry, which is really what hooked me with the promotion at first. And then the Stronghearts invasion and stuff like that in 2018. And it's just the only problem. Like, I think one of the reasons Wrestle One failed in addition to just the money problems is they kind of constantly undercut the young talent. Like, for example, like uh, Daiki Inaba, he won the title in uh, 20, was 2016, I think, and then immediately dropped it. And then he was injury prone, so you can't really help that. But he won the title back last year. And then after one defense, he lost it right back to an outsider. And Ikemen never got the push he needed because he just never got the big one. Um, Kai, I, I wasn't watching live, but I, I know all the disasters that went on with Kai and Russell One at the beginning. And it's just... They just never were able to capitalize on any stars. Like the only person they really put any effort to, as far as the young guys, was Ashino, and it worked to an extent. It it stabilized him a little bit, but they were never able to make him an even bigger star that he needed to be. But I'm really not selling this one. But um, all I can say, like the reason I loved Wrestle One so much is because of the young wrestlers, just watching them grow and develop and try and become stars. I think a lot of them are going to do well outside of the company, like Ashino, obviously. I think uh, Sego Tachibana, if a company gets gives a that gives him a shot, I think he'll do well, really well for someone. And then I don't know. <laughs> There's just a ton of potential in that group, in that promotion, and I hope some promotions give them some chances. And we, depending on what this Noah show, we might already know where one guy's going, but he's not exactly a spring chicken, I guess. <laughs> the so the people who don't know that anything about the history of promotion. It started all the way back in 2013 based on, uh, you know, another All Japan split, basically, which is, you know, seems to be how half the promotions in Japan start now. But yeah, the very first show was uh, September 8th, 2013, uh, the Russell One Raising an Army Tour, and this was at the Tokyo Dome City Hall, which is a, a venue that's very rarely used. It's uh, it's very close by to Corrigan. Um it, it, it was basically, in a lot of ways, looked at as like a a replacement for Corican Hall, but the the problem is it's like much more expensive than Corican, so I just think it it never really caught on as like a. Well, I mean, there was actually I'm looking at like a history. There was a time when it was used a lot in like 2010. It looks like. But, yeah, I really like that venue. Like I watched that original show not too long ago. It's uh, yeah. definitely something to like find because it's just weird seeing like a lot of the random people they have on it. Like it has a Mayu Iwatani versus Yoshiko match, and it's like a bunch of like basically Mudo just grabbed whoever you could to try and make that first show as big as possible. And then plus yeah. just the Russell One regulars at the time. Um, I'm trying to look at what years it was. So 2010, I I, I was looking at the wrong thing. It wasn't used at all in 2010. Um, it looks like. IGF used it a lot in like 2011, 2012. New Japan used it for a couple World Tag League dates in 2012. Uh, and then Russell One used it for just their first show. Yeah, it looks like it's mostly just IGF that used it, honestly. Um, and then Russell One used it one day again in 2014. Um, IGF in 2015. And then LLPW used it for their anniversary shows, it looks like. And then I think oh, nothing in 2017. LPW again in 2018. Like the only ones that use this venue in the last, like, yeah, nothing in 2019. So, you know, I'd say it was, I think originally supposed, like I said, supposed to be 
a replacement for Coric, and it just never really caught on. Probably because um, you know it is much more expensive to run than Coric, and um, you can hold, definitely hold more people. But I, I think that when I walked past it, um, you know, a couple of years ago, I think the thing that was running there was like a, a, a Super Sentai like stage show, which I think is like I think that runs there a lot, like the the Super Sentai stage shows. So maybe there's just an issue with dates too, but uh, but yeah, I mean it was a, it's like another smaller venue, right by the Tokyo Dome. But you know you probably walk from that to Corrigan in like two minutes. So, um, as far as the very first show, this was made event by Bob Sapp and Keiji Muto against Rene Dupree and Zodiac. So that was your very first main event. Uh, yeah, <laughs> being the former. Oh, is that the same? Yeah, it's the same guy that used to be Carlito's uh, bodyguard, I think. Right, Jesus Aguilera was that? Is that the guy I'm thinking of? I think so. Yeah. So he just got brought back uh, for uh, Wrestle Carnival for Wrestle One too in December. Oh yeah. For some reason. <laughs> I'm just checking to make sure it's the same guy. I was thinking. Yeah, that is him. Wow. There you go. So I'm surprised I remembered that one. Jesus, but he he ended up with like a pretty long run in Japan between, uh, like he was in it looks like he was in Hustle and Zero One, and then he was in uh, All Japan, and then I guess he was one of the guys that jumped from All Japan to Wrestle One, which is pretty much you know, like again the, the pretty much the entire roster uh, if you look at the at the first card. Interestingly enough, there were like a few outsiders like uh, Katsuyori Shibata and. Kazushi Sakuraba, when they were like in their peak as like New Japan outsiders, they they worked the show. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, you had guys like Kai and Seiya Sonata, and you know all these younger guys. I think people had thought of as a uh, you know the future aces of promotion, and they they of course you know Kai would free, would go freelance, and Sonata would go to TNA, and then you know I guess go freelance upon coming back to Japan, and you know he'd be in, he would end up in New Japan pretty quick after going freelance it was kind of like he he went freelance he did that strong climb and then like you know two seconds later he'd be in new japan but yeah that was another problem with wrestle one is they kept losing talent especially the young guys like uh, kai and sonata it's like yeah. constantly hemorrhaging stuff by the end of it it was basically all guys that had been trained in the dojo and not like jump overs with mudo i think like the only guys that really had left from the original jump was like kono and uh, hayashi and Kondo and and I think Andy was part of the original jump. I can't remember. I'm looking at the the first card and like Daiki and Nava was part of the original jump. Oh right, yeah, yeah, because yeah, he was in Mexico at the time. Like I think he flew back and then went back. Like went back to Japan and then flew back to Mexico or something. Like he was on excursion basically when that split yeah. happened. I think. But yeah, if you look at this card, I mean, they lost a ton of people. I mean, Hiroshi and Nava teamed with Hiroshi Yamato in that opener, and he would go freelance. Uh, Ryoto Hama and Nakanoe came over from the jump, and they're both big Japan. Um, Koji Kanemoto, he's pretty much retired now. Minoru Tanaka's and Noah. Uh, Kazuyoshi and Shuji Kondo are still there. But yeah, I mean, Stack of Arms, uh, Kono. Well, Kono's still there, but Matsukatsu Funaki's not there anymore. So, yeah, like you're saying, I just lost a ton of guys. And they just became, over the course of years they became a promotion that's just that was all about their dojo and you know they had a unique they had a unique dojo in the japanese system where you could you know you didn't have to become a wrestle one wrestler you could like 
go like there was like I always think of that one guy that wanted to become a zero one wrestler that went to the Wrestle One Dojo, and there were others that I think would just like start there and then move on to other dojos. But yeah, I mean, it was a you know a much more like American school setup, I guess you could say. But that still did end up being like their really their only source of talent by the end of it. Um, I guess, you know, where, where Russell one fits in, I guess is another question of like, you know, the, it's legacy as a, as a Japanese promotion and all that. And I think what, what people, what's hard to like, it's hard to know exactly what the legacy will be right this second, because if you, if you go back and look at like, here's a great example is, uh, you know, the Toriumon X, which was like a total fucking failure while it was alive uh, to a much greater degree than Russell one ever was. But because so the entire roster, you know, would moved on and did some pretty big things. I mean, a lot of them, you know, Kagatora went on to have a really long run as a, like one of the better remembered Dragon Gate big carters. Uh, same for Naoki Tanizaki. Um, and, you know, the guys who didn't move on to Dragon Gate, well, uh, Taiji Shimoi had, has had a super long career um, in Noah and now New Japan as a junior. And, you know, there's a ton of other wrestlers who went on to really long careers in Michinoku Pro, and I kind of became the the entire Michinoku Pro roster. So, like, so many of those guys just did way bigger things after uh, Toriumon X ended. It probably did more for the legacy of Toriumon X as, like, a, you know, in, like, a positive way. So you have to know, you can't just look at it as, like, what Wrestle 1 did while it was alive. You know, we have to see what these Wrestle 1 wrestlers will do you know, what in the after Russell one's gone, you know, like what will, you know, what will a guy like Ashino uh, go move on and do in Japanese wrestling? What will like, I mean, there's so many just like talented young wrestlers there that like that to me is the big question. It's like, what do these guys do now without Russell one? You know, and I think that will depend a lot on what their legacy of the promotion is. Yeah, I think definitely like where this talent ends up and how big they're able to become is going to be what determines the legacy of the company like you already have guys like sonata already doing big things so you have that under your belt but i think people that aren't, aren't even in the, with the company anymore like uh, hana kimura and reika saiki they both trained in the wrestle one dojo and i think both of them have a really bright future out of them especially hana just considering her uh, current platform but even like the guys that are currently there like ashino i think he'll depending on where he ends up i think he'll have a he could definitely do something big, but the only problem with him is his size. So I don't know if promotions like All Japan or New Japan, or not New Japan, but well, New Japan probably wouldn't give him a shot either because he's kind of small too. But I think him, there's like guys like uh, Picasso, Luminar, and Jun Toncho. They're really young, really early in their careers. Like I think uh, Picasso just debuted in 2018. So I think depending on where they end up, which I think for some of them, like, for example, um, as part of this uh, final wrestle one show, uh, Siki Yoshioka, he was a member of Strong Hearts, but he left the group in that after that show. And I think that kind of only means two things: either he's going to go to Dragon Gate or he's going to go to New Japan, because those are the only promotions I could really see him being a Strong Hearts member being a problem. And I think he's he's more on the old side, but I still think he'll he could have a career kind of like Ishimori in New Japan and do some great stuff there. It's just there's plenty of guys here that have the potential to do stuff. It's just whether a company gives them a shot and whether they take that shot. Yeah. And then, and you know, rest wrestle one, I think was a really, 
unique promotion when it came to like how long they were able to last before they went under. I mean, you can find lots of examples of Japanese indie promotions that didn't last very long, like um, like some of the more famous like heavyweight ones in the in the two thousands for like uh, the World Japan, you know, the Ricky Choshu company that only lasted from 2003 to 2004 so like from march 2003 to june 2004 and like big mouth loud which is like a new japan another new japan offshoot that only lasted from 05 to 06 so you know i really i can't remember the last time a promotion lasted as long as russell one did only to go under like it's been a long time since you had a promotion last you know a good seven years and before they were finally forced to go under um you know, I think you're probably talking about like how long was Hustle around? <laughs> Let's say I'm doing some live research on the air. I feel like that may have been the last one that like lasted. Yeah, Hustle was almost six years. It's like 04 to 20, 2004, 2010. So, you know, it, it is interesting, you know, just to see a promotion last that long, but, you know, be unable to keep it going. It's pretty rare in Japanese wrestling. It seems like these these companies either you know, go under after about a year or two, or they just stagger on forever. I mean, you know, zero one is still with us. So, but, uh, yeah, it seems like Wrestle one has kind of had a backer that was willing to keep shelling out money, even though they never made a profit, according to the announcement, they were always in the red. So I guess whoever, I forget, I forget who was like actually funding it, but I guess whoever it was, was still, um, willing to pay. And then finally, I guess Kaz and Mudo just decided it's not worth it anymore. Yeah. So I guess we'll see what happens next to all the remaining wrestlers. I guess anything you want to... I mean, if I'm going to tell people to check stuff out from us, one, one period that I think is worth revisiting is that Hideki Suzuki title reign. That was pretty... I don't know if you've ever seen any of that, but that was pretty awesome. Yeah, I've seen some of that. I definitely check out uh, Hideki Suzuki's title reign. I check out uh, Shotaro Shino's title reign, especially the uh, Ikemen match from uh, Pro Wrestling Love in Yokohama 2018, I want to say. Yeah, that match is awesome. No, that was 2017, but I think. But yeah, check out his reign. And they actually put a poll out from fans in um, on their Twitter, and they determined like the top three fan-voted best matches in the promotion's history. That match was number one. Number two was uh, Shotaro Shino versus Manabu Soya from March so- March something 2018 at Korokan for a tit- the title match when Soya won the title. And then a junior t- title match between Seki Yoshioka and Andy Wu. Uh, Andy Wu. Between Seki Yoshioka and Yusuke Kodama. All those are great matches. And if you want to check on their YouTube page, they're all up there for free. Before, you had to like go on Rootube and all that to find the uh, some of those matches. But they're all free on YouTube now on their YouTube channel. So... If you want to get a taste of what Wrestle One was about, I checked that out. There you go. All right, so that's Wrestle One. Um, you know, hopefully people will check out some of the historical stuff. It's not like there's a lot else to do right now, so definitely something worth checking out. Um, let's shift over to, I guess, of the two shows we're going to talk about. Let's talk about the Noah uh, 20th anniversary Noah the Chronicle Volume Two. Uh, this was on, back on March 29th. It aired live on DT Universe and Samurai TV from an empty Corican Hall. Um, the, the, we can start at the top and work our way down because I think the match everybody's been talking about is the GHC heavyweight title match. 
Goshiozaki defeating Kazuki Vegeta in 57-47 with the strong arm lariat for the first defense. Um, you know, this has been a very controversial match, a very a match that's definitely split people, although I will say I feel like it split people in the exact ways I would have guessed beforehand that it would split people, so nothing really has shocked me about the reaction. It's one of, one of those types of matches, I guess. I really liked it. Um, you know, I do, there were a couple, like, I'm, I, I, I don't have the, the level of, um, reverence for it, I guess, of the people who won five, but like, to me, it's not like a perfect, like to me, five stars, obviously is a perfect wrestling match. I don't think this was a perfect wrestling match, but it was a wrestling match. I really enjoyed, um, you know, for the most part. And I, I think, you know, I had a little bit of a, a hard time star rating it because that, that first 35 minutes is, it's such a unique, um, like just the two of them just staring at each other. It is a very, very unique way to begin a wrestling match and like probably one of the craziest things I've ever seen. And I definitely think it's something you have to watch. Like you you cannot watch that spoiled. You, you had to have been watching it live or unspoiled to appreciate it at all. I totally get why someone just like, once once you know what's going to happen, you know you you probably you may as well just skip it. I mean, it's not gonna it's not gonna have that kind of impact. But just watching it live and just like experiencing that in the moment and just like like you know looking at Twitter and stuff and like watching people be like they're they're fighting so fast that you can, your our eyes can't even see it and stuff like that stuff was really fun and really funny. So you know that was it was an experience. I will say I think it went a little bit too long. I think. 35 minutes was a little bit too much for me. And, you know, there was like a moment around the, I, I think a perfect length would have been like 20 to 25 minutes for that. I think like around the, um, you know, around the 30 minute mark, it started to be like, okay, I've, I get it. They're staring. Like, let's just move on already. So I did take off a little bit for that maybe, but like, as far as like a really unique way to to try something different in an empty arena, you don't have to worry about fans turning on the match because they're staring at each other for 35 minutes straight. I thought it was a really cool thing to do and, you know, a really cool thing to try. And the two of them were absolutely perfect at it. It's, it's, I don't I don't think it was as easy to do that, you know, to do a 35-minute stare down as you might think. Um, and I kept, I kept looking at Nosawa on the floor, too, during that entire stare down. And it was just like, you know he came up with this when he was, like, on, like, a nine-hour bender at Izakaya or whatever, just like just drinking for nine hours straight. And he must have been like, ah, this is actually working. I can't believe it. So uh, you know. The the biggest flaw I have with the match actually was after the immediate part after the uh the 35 minute stare down, I thought the the walk and brawl or I guess it wasn't immediately after. I guess they did the mat wrestling first. The mat wrestling was fun. I like the mat wrestling. I think you know Fujita's good at all that stuff and they you know they really struggling to break the guard and stuff like that if you're if you're not you're just not into that you're not going to be into that but i i thought all that stuff was good but the the walk and brawl is was my biggest flaw of the match uh i didn't really care for the walk and brawl i mean other than fujita drinking the hand sanitizer was great but the actual walk and brawl i thought just went on for a little too long it just wasn't anything i was into but once they got back in the ring i mean they just like destroyed each other and you know, all that stuff was really, really good. Um, you know, all the hard lariats and all that. Um, you know, I, I saw some people, I think the flagship, they said that they thought the, the finish was kind of flat. I don't really agree. I thought it was a pretty much a perfect finish of Go just finally 
dropping him with the strong arm lariat and getting the pin. Um, you know, I thought they did a really good job teasing that it was going to go the full 60. So my final, the rating I finally like decided on was four stars. That was an awesome match. Um, not a match of the year contender to me, but I totally get why uh, it is for other people. But yeah, I thought it was a really good match. And, you know, it was just some minor flaws that took it down a little bit for me, but nothing, nothing that would keep it from being a really good match. What did you think of this uh, controversial? I think I already know, actually, but go ahead, TJ. What did you think of this one? I, too, kind of had a difficulty star rating it because how weird star ratings are. Like, it just depends on people's criteria and shit like that. But for me, right now, it stands as my match of the year. Like, it just depends. Like, it kind of just was weird and different and, like, Honestly, like the 30, 31, 35 minutes, whatever, them staring, like it flew by. Like once you kind of, I, I wasn't spoiled, thankfully. I saw people saying, it was like saying something happened in the match, like not something, like something weird happened with the match and basically to go unspoiled. So I kind of just like got off Discord, Twitter, all that, and just waited until I watched the match. But you're sitting there watching them stare at each other and then you kind of just start to realize this is really happening. The, the, you kind of embrace the absurdity of it and you just start watching to see if them, like see when someone's gonna move like i thought that was kind of i got enthralled by watching to see when if any of them are gonna move and like when they finally did move it kind of was like oh fuck they're actually doing something and you just waiting like at the way uh fujita was a stare like standing there I, you could have thought he was a statue other than him blinking a few times and then when he did decide to move i'm not gonna try and like tell you like this is all like crazy storytelling and all that like i'm not trying to tell you oh this was masterful storytelling of them like staring at each other because waiting to see who's going to move first. But it's just like, I enjoyed watching them just stare at each other for 30 minutes. It's a weird statement to say, but I enjoyed it. <laughs> and then once they finally got moving, like, like you said, the mat wrestling was great. I loved, I loved the, the walk and brawl. Like you said, them go, or not go, uh, Fujita spitting hand sanitizer in his face and then getting up to the Cork and Hall elevator and trying to go up it, but it wouldn't move. So Fujita just kicked it. And then once they got up on the balcony go, or go just being choked out by Fujita over the balcony, and I was kind of with you and thinking like they probably should have just went to the 60 with how long they went because I honestly thought they were going to go to the 60 minute once they got that far. But thankfully I'm kind of happy they didn't though. Cause Fujita hasn't lost a singles match in like years. And I think having go be the person to do that, especially for his uh, first title defense is a great way to get his reign going. And like, like you said, I, I love the finish. Like him just, they were going at Lariat battle for like the fat last couple minutes. And then finally that's how it ended in the same way with the Lariat. And I don't know. I just really enjoyed this match. Like if I had to give it a rating, I'd go five stars, but honestly, like it's just not something I can really rate. It's just an experience. It's not, it's just different than everything else right now. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm very happy to watch it. Like I said, this was like um, towards the coming off the peak of my illness and like, I don't want to say that this brought me back to health, but it was a it was a good, very nice distraction from a, what had been a very rough couple of days. So, I thank you to these two kings. Uh, the semi-main event was the GHC Junior Heavyweight Title: uh, Yoshinori Ogawa defeating Daisuke Harada in twenty-six thirty-nine with a foot stomp cutback in his first def- for his first defense. Uh, this I thought was awesome as well. I won four stars on this too. Um, you know, not, 
I actually think I like this better than the main event, which, you know, I guess is a bit of a hot take, but they were, I mean, they're both very different matches, but very good. And, you know, Ogawa is like one, again, one of those guys that like, I think is just having a, I mean, I don't want to say career revival because he's always been great, but like he's having more of the spotlight on him, I guess, with this title reign. And he's pretty much knocking out the park in every single, uh, you know, every single match he has. And I was, I'm very glad he retained here because I did think, I was pretty worried that Harada was going to win, but uh, yeah, this was this was another really great match. Yeah, I like this match too a lot. I I also went four stars. I think we're kind of the low people from what I've seen in some circles because a lot of people are saying this is the match of the year contender, and I, I didn't like it to that level. I think a crowd might have helped this a little bit, but I really enjoyed all the arm work with the, that Ogawa was doing on Harada's arm, the like basically the entire match, and the I really enjoyed the finish. Just with the roll up, like um, Harada hitting the double stomp and slipping, and then Ogawa doing the roll up to get the win. And I'm really excited what's going to happen after the match with uh, Suzuki attacking Ogawa, and then now Stinger's dead. So I'm really excited for a, an Ogawa Suzuki uh, title match down the road. Yeah, and that could be really good. And I think it's going to be a little awkward once uh, Chris Ridgeway returns to Japan since Stinger's dead. Yeah. Um. The Match number two, and this would, I, I think, maybe the big disappointment of the night, uh, Takashi Sugera defeating Minoru Tanaka in 14-35 with an ankle hold to make his fourth defense of the GHC national title. I don't know if they... I, I was expecting a much more shooty match, I guess is the best way to put it. Like, I thought these two were really going to take it to the mat, and they, they didn't really do that. They just kind of had a normal wrestling match. Um, you know, it just might have been because they didn't want to overshadow the main event, which was a very... You know, once they finally started wrestling, it wasn't a very, like, uh, you know, shooty slash, like, you know, a lot of uh, mat wrestling. Whereas this was, you know, that I was expecting. And Sugar and Tanaka definitely both could do that, and they just didn't. So I thought maybe it was to avoid overshadowing the main. But, yeah, I mean, this was, you know, a perfectly fine little match. I went, like, three and a quarter. But uh, definitely disappointing compared to what I was expecting going in. I really like this one, actually. Like, I, I went four stars on it. Um, like, I liked how they wasted no time getting going from the beginning because with Tanaka, like, doing a moonsault off the top rope on, to Sugiro on, like, the outside, which might have been where he fucked up his ankle. <laughs> but, um, yeah, I, I kind of do agree. Like, I, it's not, it wasn't as shooty as I would have expected between these two, but I did like how stiff they were being with each other. Like, um, like at one point, uh, Sugi was kicking, or Sugiro was kicking, like, the crap out of Tanaka's back, and one of the kicks hit him in the head and he tried to get back up, like do all fighting spirit and then just f- collapsed anyway. Once he got kicked in the head again. And I kind of liked uh, Tanaka selling in this, like he was dead for like the first like quarter of the match with how all the punishment he was getting from Sugira, but then suddenly was able to get back up. But I thought he was like really pretty much out of the match by then or early on, but somehow made it back. But I do think the ending was kind of flat to me, but beyond that, I really enjoyed it a lot. Uh, and the opener of this only four-match show was the GHC Junior Heavyweight Tag Team Titles, uh, Hayata and Yohei defeating Kotaro Suzuki and Sushi Kotoge in 22-34. Uh, Hayata used the headache on Kotoge, so they failed in their second defense, and uh, the Patels team became the 39 champions. This I didn't really, you know, it was it really picked up towards the end, but it just felt like it dragged forever before that for me. Um, it wasn't really the, you know, 22 and a half minutes is a, a little long for, uh, you know, what Rattel's, what is capable of, I think. 
So I, w I gave it three stars, you know, gentlemen's three. It wasn't a bad match by any stretch, especially by the end, but it definitely dragged a lot for me. Yeah, I went three stars too. Kind of the same complaints you had. Like, it didn't really need to go 22 minutes. And I think Rattels are kind of hurt without a crowd reaction at all. They need a little bit of something yeah. to go off of. They and look like, like WWE guys to me, like playing to nobody a lot. Well, like, I like Yohei trying to get the crowd into it, like pretend to. Cause it's a little funny the few times. Like, his antics were kind of like the main thing I took away from the match of that. And like, just Kotoge's uh, offense. I love him. I think he's probably like the better, per best person in the match. And he was he was pretty much the highlight of it, other than uh, Yohei just being Yohei. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, that's the Noah show. Definitely, if you if you haven't seen it, I would say definitely worth checking out. Only a four match card. Um, you know, you get like a really fun, a really awesome last two matches, and then TJ obviously liked the national title more than I did, but. I would say definitely watch the last two matches at least. And, you know, um, if you already, you already now know that the main event has a 35 minute stare down, you probably don't have to watch all 35 minutes of it. But uh, the actual, I, I, I think that, I mean, you know, a lot, of, a lot of the stuff focused on a 35 minute stare down, but I actually think the, like the wrestling, once they started wrestling was more than good enough to, I don't, I not even need that, honestly. I mean, I, I'm, I'm glad they did it. I think it was a really interesting thing to do and, it was really cool, but uh, but like the match, like if they if the match was just the actual wrestling the two of them had, I still think it would have been pretty great. So, uh, but yeah, that's Noah. Let's move over to Big Japan to talk about the March twenty first Strong Climb Corican. Uh, it didn't air until March twenty eighth on Samurai, so I took a while to make tape. So it's one of the, I guess, one of the last shows involving fans from Cork and that you're going to see for a while. I think the, the finals that are coming up on April 12th, I think are going to have fans, but that's in Sapporo where um, they seem to have already gotten past the, the peak of their uh, outbreak over in, in, in Hokkaido. Um, you know, I don't think you're going to see many shows from Tokyo with fans until, you know, like, like we were talking about earlier, maybe not even until May. Um, as far as the, the show here, um, I guess we can again start at the top with the Strong Climb main event, which was Daiji Hashimoto defeating T-Hawk in 1604 at the Rising DDT. Um, I thought this was okay. I, again, wasn't Daiji had been on kind of a roll for me. I've, I've actually liked a lot of his stuff lately, but this was, I thought he was just like the, the, the Daiji screeching was a little bit too annoying. Um, you know, it didn't really, it just never really grabbed me the way some other matches on the show that we're going to talk about did grab me. So I went three and a quarter. It was a, a pretty good match by the end. And, you know, Daichi, other than the screeching, you know, some of his leg selling was pretty good, but it never, this was like, uh, it was never a match that I was like super, super into. What'd you think of this one? I'm definitely way higher on this than you are. I went uh, four and a quarter on it, but it oh, also wow. helps. I'm a, I'm a really big T-Hawk fan for anyone that doesn't know. So I like you said. I think uh, Daichi's selling of his leg was pretty much uh, like one of the major highlights of this. With like T Hawk was working it over it the entire time, and Daichi was pretty much selling it the entire time. Like he he was still using his leg and his knee as like for offense, but he'd like immediately like clutch it as soon as he um, hit a move or like or he like uh, limp to T Hawk after he hit a move. And like near the end, he kind of stopped a little bit, but beyond that, like I just think T Hawk's like f uh, his. Uh, 
work on Daichi Zenyu was really good to watch. And I didn't really notice screaming as much, but part of that, I don't think I had the volume up too high, so maybe I just didn't hear it. But I thought um, this was probably like one of Daichi's better performances I've seen from him in a while. Like yeah. he had the um, Imamura match, which I really enjoyed from, I think it was like night one of Strong Climb, yeah, which I really like. But I think this one was slightly uh, better than that. I was the only person that liked that match he had with, uh, what's his name? From the the Yokohama show that with I guess with Sekimoto. Yeah, well, uh, I really I really like that one. About to get a rematch of it, so we'll see if uh, you like that one too. <laughs> the semi-main Ryotohama defeating Yuji Kobayashi in nine forty-two with the Okido Press. Uh, this one I thought was really good. Um, a very fun match. They worked a lot faster and a lot harder than you probably think for a, you know a Hama match. Um, you know, and Hama, you know, just kind of like survived the golden splash and then just kind of came back and eventually got the pen. But, you know, for a sub 10 minute match, I thought this was about as good as it's going to, as you're going to get a really fast paced, uh, you know, sprint of a match here. I went three and three quarters. So. I went about uh three and a quarter on it. I thought it was really great too, but I, I kind of enjoyed Hama's match with uh, Hino from earlier in the tournament a little bit better, but I still thought Hama was like at one of his best here. I got really liked when he one of at uh, one point he was like just rolled over Okabayashi as part of his offense. Like I like a lot of his offense is just him falling on people. And I did there was one spot where uh, Okabayashi was like going for like a sunset flip over Hama, but he couldn't bring him down. And Hama just tried to sit on him instead. And but Okabayashi was able to roll out of the way. But it had some cool spots in it, and Hama had his working boots on, so it was a fun match to watch. Uh, sir from the top, Block D, Yuya Aoki defeating Yasufumi Nakanoe in 1304. They roll up. I have to call that a bit of an upset. This, I thought, again, this, this was my match of the night. A really hot match with Aoki like, just continually surviving Nakanoe's offense before finally getting that pin with the crate out of nowhere. I thought Aoki's selling here was just like really, really good. Uh, and Nakanoe looked like a million bucks, too. And, you know, he's one of those guys that, like, you f- you just kind of forget how good he is sometimes because he he can go under the radar without really doing much of anything for a long time. But like once what he really puts in a performance, he really puts in a performance. And this was like one of, um, you know, one of his better performances in a while. I thought so. I went four stars on this. I thought it was a really awesome, you know, uh, really fun thirteen minute match here. Yes, I went uh, four and a quarter on this, and it's also my match of the night and probably my match of the tournament thus far. I still need to watch the. Uh, the March 20th show, but at, from what I've seen this so far is my favorite match of the tournament. Like you said, a lot of this match is just Nakanoe just beating down Aoki and Aoki trying to survive. And he got a little bit of action in on Nakanoe, but for the most part, he's just getting beat down and his selling was great. And somehow, despite all of uh, how he was getting bullied the entire match, he was able to pick up the win and in a pin in a roll up. I did like the near fall right before that where Aoki like did like a backslide and then like rolled over. I forget. I don't know what that move's called, but it was a really great near fall. And then the actual pinfall was good too. So I really enjoyed this match a lot. Uh, the fourth on top is Zami Kodaka in block B defeating Taishi Takizawa in 11.04 with a leg trap small package. Um, you know, it was all Takizawa early before, Izami finally started his comeback, and the finish kind of came out of nowhere. But I I liked the way like Izami like kind of uh, turned this cravat into this into the leg trap 
small package. You don't really see that kind of transition every day. So that was a really cool way to end the match. So I went three and a half. I thought it was a good match. Uh, I went three on this. I figured you were going to enjoy this a little bit more than me, but I still, it was still fun enough. And I, I really enjoyed the finish. Like you said, like that was really creative how he, um, Kodaka was able to get the roll up finish for, or the cradle pin it finish for that. Yeah. Um, and then the first of the strong climb matches, uh, Akira Hayota defeating Ryuchi Kawakami in 1053 with a spear. Um, I, this, this one was just there for me. I thought it was, uh, you know, the, the shoulder blocks was fine, but then we got to the floor and it was a kind of boring brawl. Um, you know, it didn't really pick up to me until Hioto did the the big corner charges. But the fans was exciting, at least, with him hitting the two big spheres of the pin. The crowd was really into him getting the upset. So that picked up a little bit for me, but it's only one, two, and three quarters. I went uh, three on this and more or less the same as you. Is kind of there for the most of it, and then once Hodo got his, uh, or Hodo got his uh, momentum going in that final, the two spears were just great. He he um, really hit those well, and Kawakami sold him really good. I guess, but I don't know. I thought uh, Hodo was definitely like the better wrestler in this match, at least for this match. But it was fun. So yeah, three stars. And then so that's pretty much it for the show. I mean, there were some tag matches. But uh, really, not much to talk about there, other than the the deathmatch crocodile in the <laughs> in the uh, the dark fluorescent light tubes deathmatch. Like, what the hell was that thing? Oh, it was like a it was like a like you know like a it was like a alligator toy with a gusset board duct taped to it, and then they were like trying to like stomping each other with it and like using it on their hand, like putting people's hands in and just chomping on it. Like that was really the highlight of that whole thing. That that was incredible. <laughs> Yeah. Like they've they've gotten really creative with their uh, deathmatch tools lately. Like I think they used a paper shredder last month as a weapon. Yeah, it's something. But all right, so that's pretty much almost. We're almost the end of the strong climb. Um, they're gonna try to, like I said earlier, run these two shows in Sapporo, which as of now are on on April twelfth. Um, they're gonna air on Samurai. I'm not sure if they're airing live or not. Let me look that up right now. Actually. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's, uh, you know, two, the, the two semifinals are Jake Lee from all Japan against quiet storm. And like you just mentioned earlier, a rematch from Yokohama with Daichi Hashimoto against Daisuke Sekimoto. And then the two winners obviously meet in the final on the, you know, the second show of two that day. So we'll see if those shows do go through, I guess. I assume they are as of now, but, uh, you know, things are things are definitely, you know, a little uh, kind of all over the place right now. So, um, the Big Japan show. Okay, it looks like it airs a week later. So it looks like they're going to air together on April nineteenth. So, there you go. Um, you know, the the first couple weeks of April definitely looking a little bit light right now. But uh, you know, there's not a lot going on. And you, I think you mentioned earlier that Oda Ward Gym is just taking out of service for April 1st to 30th. So there won't be any shows during that month. But uh, yeah, I don't know. I think people had better strap in for a late April, which I think we're doing. When I talk about our plans for this podcast at the end, I think, uh, you know, that'll be, we're definitely strapped in for a late April here. 
uh, yeah, I think that's what we're, we're the only thing that's going to be running. It looks like are the, these DDT and Noah, uh, no fan shows. So, um, what do you, what do you plan to do to get through a late April TJ? You're going to watch a lot more historical stuff. Uh, I'll probably watch pretty much everything that airs. I got, I still have a little bit of a backlog and, Plus, I just haven't been watching stuff because I've been playing uh, a lot of video games, like way more than I have been in a long time. But um, pretty much whatever makes tape on Nika, I'll watch that. And but once that dries up, I'll be jumping into a lot more historical stuff. I've I've kind of been doing that already a little bit, like trying to space it out so I don't completely dry up my backlog super quickly. <laughs> but yeah, yeah there's, there's plenty of stuff I haven't watched, so I'll have something to do. But. So it looks like I, if people are expecting Japan to get back to normal, including with like new Japan shows and stuff, I just don't think it's going to happen anytime soon. Maybe, maybe by May, you know, maybe I think you're looking at like, realistically, I think you're looking at like late May, much more than anything else. But, you know, it is what it is, I guess. I mean, things are, uh, the things are not great in America or in Japan right now. Uh, I think things are probably, much worse in America right now, honestly. But you know, Japan, they're they're taking it. It feels like they're finally taking it seriously with, uh, you know, as we start seeing like a hundred plus cases in Tokyo per day, which uh, for the first time in for the first time ever, I think actually. So and, you know, they don't have the Olympics to worry about anymore. So you know, uh, I think you're just going to see if the rumor is that uh, the prime minister is going to declare a state of emergency on Monday, Japan time. So, which we should know that, I, I guess, pretty soon after I finish recording here. But yeah, it is a, you know, it's a very not great time right now, uh, pretty much for anybody. So, you know, I don't think, unfortunately, I don't think we're going to have a lot of Japanese wrestling to distract us from, uh, or at least not in front of crowds, distract us from what's been going on. Apparently, AW is like shut down too. I don't know if you heard that. Yeah, saw, yeah, yeah, I saw that. <clears throat> yeah, they have some stuff taped like that TNT championship tournament and all that kind of crap. But yeah, they're basically done indefinitely. And uh, WWE is probably going to be done that too because they've only taped up till uh, this uh, Raw tomorrow. So I don't know what they're going to do. Yeah, I mean, I, I mean, WWE at least has like that really huge tape library. Honestly, they could just put whatever they want on the air. But uh, AEW obviously does not have that, so I don't know what they're gonna put on TNT every week, you know, maybe it'll, after this TNT tournament stuff runs out, who knows what they're going to be putting up there. But it's a, you know, like I said, a weird period. If I, I sound down probably, and I, I am pretty down about, you know, just like thinking about every, you know, just trying to like think about what we're going to see in the future and, you know, what, uh, I, 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 it's just very, very uncertain times right now. And, you know, nobody can tell you when if if anyone claims they know when we're gonna be back to normal, I, I think they're probably lying to you, basically. I think it's we're in a in a really bad situation that's not gonna come to an end anytime soon. So <laughs> on that positive note, I guess TJ, we can wrap things up. If you wanna start plugging uh plug your new podcast and all that. Or not new, but your your recent podcast, I guess. Yeah, on the uh, last podcast, I don't even remember what we, were, we talked about the last podcast. Uh, let me even look that up real quick. 
Okay. Uh, I guess I have to fill some air here. Oh, I got it. Uh, okay. Okay, go ahead. Yeah, the uh, last podcast we talked about the last Wrestle One Shinkiba show, which took place on March 25th. Uh, the Old Japan Corkin from March 23rd. The DDT show from March 22nd. And then the Noah Corkin that we just talked about. And then next week, which we'll be recording to on Tuesday, we're going to talk uh, the DDT show from yesterday. The Noah, the, the start of Noah's Global Tag League, which I'm surprised they're happening, but and um, we're going to talk. That empty, they're doing that empty arena. Yeah, I, it it started today, but I haven't gotten a chance to watch it yet. Yeah. But and then we're also going to talk about uh, year end front runners, which you can kind of talk about now since nothing's really been happening. But basically, see who we think's been the top people. So top people matches, all that from the first three months of the year. But it's the uh, One Wrestling Podcast, which you can follow at One Wrestling Pod. And on another little plug, uh, check out the Wrestle One Final Corkin if you feel like watching another empty arena show. I get why you might not, but it'll air on Gaora on uh, the 17th of this month. So check that out if you're interested. So there you go. Um Thanks for that plug. And of course, you can follow us on Twitter at WrestleOmakase. Uh, wrestling would not fit. So, as I mentioned earlier, we're going to be doing a little bit of a different format going forward because I'm, I'd be honest, I'm a little bit tired of talking about these depressing MTV shows. So, I don't know how many we're going we're gonna to talk about, but we're going to transition a little bit to more historical content for the next, at least the next few weeks while there isn't much going on outside, inside or outside of Japan. So we're going to do a what I'm calling a five matches with blank um, format where I'm going to have on a guest. The guest and I will each pick two matches that we'll for sure watch. So that's four of the five. And then the fifth match will be we'll, we, we'll each pick a third bonus match. And then I'll put it on the a Twitter poll. So you, the listeners, will get to decide during the course of the week um, what the fifth match we'll talk about is. So you'll pick between my pick and the guest pick. So that sounds confusing. All you're doing is picking between two matches, and that's the that'll be the fifth match we talk about. So the first guest for next week's show will be Joe Lanza from the Voice Wrestling Flagship. So that'll be exciting. Joe and I will, like I said, each pick two matches for each other to watch, and uh, we'll each also we'll see who gets the the fifth match chosen by the Wrestling Omakase listeners. So definitely check out the at Wrestling Omakase account for that poll to go up. I'll probably go up Monday or Tuesday, and then you'll get to pick the fifth match that we talk about on next week's show. And, you know, this format, I'm not sure how long it'll last. It depends on, you know, how long, uh, I guess, the coronavirus stuff lasts and how, how many shows start coming out of at least Japan again, since Japan's what we're primarily worried about here. But, uh, but, but, and for these, for these guest episodes, you know, you can pick anything. It won't just be Japanese wrestling. So, um, but yeah, that'll we'll definitely see how that format goes. It might be a little bit of a work in progress, but uh, it's just kind of my idea for how we can, uh, you know, do something a little bit different while we're in the middle of this coronavirus pandemic. So definitely check that out next week with me and Joe. And in the meantime, folks, thank you as always for listening, and I'll see you next time. 
say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill.